0: friend of author and pastor John Ortberg uh, used to live up in the Minnesota area, was, worked for a denomination up there. One of his jobs as a part of the denomination was to travel to little rural communities all over Minnesota where they didn't have many pastors, sometimes not even churches, and he would officiate funerals for people. Usually he would uh, just ride out to do the funerals with the uh, the undertaker and the, the funeral home's hearse. This was a routine part of his of his work and John tells uh, how one time they were on their way back from the funeral, how his friend was on his way back from the funeral. His friend was feeling quite tired that day and so he decided that he would take a nap. And uh, since they were in a hearse and the funeral was over and there was no casket in the back, he thought to himself, I'll just crawl back there and lay down and take a nap while we're driving here, which is what he did. Sounds like a little creepy, I know to some of us, but uh, it's a true story little time passes and the guy who's driving the hearse pulls into a a full service gas station because the hearse was a little low on uh, fuel. As the service station attendant was uh, filling up the tank, he kind of looked in the windows, was a little creeped out because when he looked in the window, what he saw was a body stretched out in the back of the hearse. You know, just imagine this, he's filling the tank, looking in and get that creepy feeling inside. While he was standing there filling up the tank, John's friend, who was asleep in the back, woke up. (laughs) Without moving, he opened his eyes. In his peripheral vision, he saw someone. He reached over, knocked on the window, (laughs) waved at the attendant. who proceeded to never be quite the same again. John's friend said that he's never seen anybody run so fast in his whole life. Here's why I tell you that story and what I want you to think about. When people see life where they were expecting to see death, it gets your attention and you never forget it. It changes you in certain ways. On the third day after Jesus' crucifixion, that's exactly what happened. That's the picture that the Bible paints for us. And God wants us to see it and to feel it, to hear it, to to smell it, to sense it. And so open your Bible with me this morning to uh, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 on this uh, resurrection Sunday morning. I want to help you see life where everyone was expecting to see death. Hoping it won't prompt you to run. I hope it'll prompt you to believe. Hope it'll prompt you to rejoice. Matthew 28, follow along with me in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen beside me as I read. The Bible says, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled aside the stone and sat on it His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Now, let me just pause. You know what the Bible's describing here, don't you? I mean, these guards, these four guards have been standing here all night long, and suddenly this this angel with a face like lightning descends, rolls a stone away, sits on the stone, staring at them. And so they didn't die. What happens is like... They're creeped out, freaked out, and like literally they, they just, their nervous system overloads. They collapse on the ground, unconscious, as though dead. It's a dead faint. The passage goes on and says, and the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. come. See where his body was lying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. You know, the angel rolled away the stone and freaked out the guards. Uh, He greeted the women and when he did that, he made several important statements. These statements apply to them and they apply to us this morning and uh, for the next few minutes, I want you all to hear what the angel had to say because his good news can help all of us to believe and rejoice and grow, it can help us all to see life where death used to be. The first statement that the angel made to the women in Matthew chapter 28 was in verse 5. And it says this, don't be afraid. The angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid. He said, I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. You know, there are really two layers of meaning to what, G- what the angel is saying here. On one level, the angel was saying, don't be afraid like the guards over there are passed out on the ground. I mean, don't, don't let my, freak, my presence freak you out. I mean you, no harm. On one level, he's saying that. But on a spiritual level, he's saying even more. He's saying, just as important, it's safe to seek God, to seek truth. Yes, to seek it even here in an empty tomb. It's safe to seek to understand Jesus and his power and what he's done for us. There's nothing to fear. In fact, you're wise. You've come to the right place. That's what he's saying to them. He's saying that because of who Jesus was and is the extraordinary person that he is and what's just taken place, which brings us to the angel's second statement, which he made from the mouth of Jesus' empty grave. And it was real succinct. He just said, he isn't here. He's risen. Matthew 28, 6, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead just as he said would happen. You know, face-to-face with an angel, whose face, I might add and remind you, shines like lightning, okay, and face-to-face with a clearly empty grave, the women believed. I mean, they were astonished, but they believed, and they especially believed as they turned around and went to tell the disciples and, you know, ran face-to-face into Jesus, that also uh, prompted them to believe as well. But modern day skeptics read a passage like this and think to uh, themselves, think the, the way they do, that you know, it's nice that they believe, but we don't really know about that. We weren't there. The odds are against such a thing. Dead people don't generally come back to life. And you know those skeptics are partially Right? We weren't there. You weren't there. The odds are stacked against anybody rising from the dead. Have you ever personally seen somebody rise from the dead? No, you haven't. Maybe hear a few stories in some remote parts of the world, but you've never seen it. You've never experienced it. For that matter, the disciples themselves were skeptical at first. You know, they wondered. uh, I mean, after all, they watched him die. They were not unfamiliar or naive about death. They didn't have undertakers. Do you know why Mary and Mary were coming to the grave this morning? On this morning, they were coming because they were performing the function of the undertaker of our day. They were coming to finish anointing his body in an appropriate way for the burial that it had already received. I mean, they were not unfamiliar with death. But the message of the angels and the subsequent message of the disciples was clearly Jesus bodily rose from the dead, the tomb was empty, and Jesus was and is still alive. They believed it to the absolute core of their being. And before you and I join the skeptics of our day, here's what I want you to think about with me for the next few moments. If Jesus was not resurrected, as the scriptures say, if he was not resurrected as the disciples believed clearly, as the angel proclaimed clearly, then you and I have 2,000 years of world history left begging for explanation. It's like a movie missing a key scene. It's like a book with a key pivotal chapter missing from the book. Doesn't sell very well. Nobody wants to go to that movie, right? I mean, no other event in all of recorded history has crossed national, ethnic, religious, linguistic, cultural, political, and geographic borders like the news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, it, it is the most world-traveled message on the planet. I want you to think about it. During the first fledgling centuries of Christianity, the countercultural news of Jesus' resurrection was not spread by government leaders and people of importance and influence. It was spread by a small band of disempowered Jews who lived in an occupied and ancient, insignificant territory of Rome. They had no political power, no military power. They had no financial or economic or media leverage. They were consistently day after day after day faced with ruthless, dedicated, organized, violent opposition. Something dramatic, something unprecedented, something life-changing had to happen. For the gospel of Jesus Christ and the news of his death, burial, and resurrection to spread worldwide like it did to the extent that we're gathered in a place like this talking about it this morning. This is not life as usual. I mean, think about it. Do you remember what happened to Jesus' disciples immediately after his violent death? Do you remember what the Bible tells us, what history tells us? They were terrified, every one of them. Terrified for themselves, what did they do? Scattered. They were so terrified that John Mark, one of the the disciples, one of the apostles, flees buck naked, the Bible tells us. Don't believe me, go back and read it in the Gospels. What made all of them suddenly willing to die for what they saw? What changed them? What caused them to go put their clothes back on, to come out of hiding, to risk their lives and potential death in the same manner Jesus experienced it. What changed them? I mean, think about this what prevented the disciples from replacing Jesus, if he died, with one of his family members or someone else, like most other religious movements throughout history with dead leaders have done? What kept him from doing that if he wasn't resurrected? I mean, friends, something dramatic, something unprecedented, something life-changing, extraordinary, transformational had to happen three days after Jesus' execution and burial. And here's my point, friends. If Jesus' body or occupied tomb was sitting around as evidence in his day, don't you realistically think, don't you rationally think it would have undermined the disciples' belief and their willingness to suffer their willingness to die, don't you think it would have undermined their ability to persuade other people to believe? Of course it would have. So much more could be said, friends. More than you can handle this morning. So much more. But common sense and the facts of history corroborate the angel's compelling message. He isn't here He's risen from the dead just as he said he would. And then as if to say, but don't take my word for it, the angel adds, look at this. Come. Come see where his body was lying, the text tells us. Angels just said, come and see. Come see for yourselves. Do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Bible tells us that the women and the other disciples did just that. Read the Gospel of Luke, read the other Gospels. I mean, you got the disciples after they hear the word, I mean, they're running to the tomb. They're, they're analyzing on the detail. I mean, they go into their own little CSI forensics thing going on here. They're trying to figure this out because, as I said, they watched him die. They watched the spear thrust into his side and the blood and water come out of it, the puncturing of the pericardium. They, they understood death better than we do. What they found was an empty tomb and a resurrected living Jesus when they did their search. I wonder if that might happen to some of us if we actually went on a search. Maybe some of us don't search. Because we're afraid of what we'll find, and the implications of change that might have to occur in me if I find a living, resurrected Savior. Eight years ago I went to Israel personally for the first time, it was an amazing experience. If you've never been, you can go sometime, you really should. There's. Overwhelming evidence there, even 2,000 years after the fact. Overwhelming evidence in Israel that Jesus was born, that he lived, that he died by crucifixion, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave. The debate in Israel, generally speaking, is not over those things. For the most part, the debate is, which ancient tomb was actually his Think about that. I mean, the primary contenders are these. I mean, was it this tomb? Was it this one? The, is this the garden tomb? You can go just outside of the, the walled part of the city and you can walk there from the north side of the city and you can, it can get to this place and there's a lot of history around this, this tomb and some wonder if it was this it describes, and when you look at it, when you're there, you can see the stone. It's blocked by the tree. It's over there, a, a giant stone. And Could have been that one, I suppose, or, or, or was it this one? And this is at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, and uh, 1,700 years ago, uh, Constantine's mother shows up, and she, you know, she said well, it was basically a temple that had been built in the region, and she didn't like the temple uh, that uh, not a temple to God, a temple to Roman god, and so uh you know, she had become a believer, and she just basically said knock that temple down and make a build a, a chapel, a church, a shrine around around where it was that uh, the spot that at that point was the tomb of jesus and that 's the the claim to fame of the church of the holy sepulchre there 's some debate about whether this is it or not, but that's the uh, that 's the history of that so Is it that one? Or maybe it's this next one Uh, because this, what's ironic about this is this is actually uh, in the back. It's a neglected tomb in the back of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. You go out to the first one and they got all kinds of candles and shrines, all, I mean, honestly, you feel kind of creepy like the guy outside of John's friend's hearse. You know, it's just, it's kind of weird. But in the back, if you kind of make your way through the, to this back neglected thing, what this neglected area of the, of the church there, and, and you find these tombs back here, strangely empty, and uh, they put a couple of candles back there routinely, but that's, that's the other one. Ignored for almost 2,000 years until recently. something about that kind of fits almost in a way doesn't it just kind of think the way our world you know we have a savior who came into his own who received him not John 1 tells us and dies and is resurrected and maybe even ignored the place of his resurrection truthfully here's my point though You don't have to take my word for it, because I can't tell you precisely which one of these three or if it is another one that's yet to be uh, discovered. You can go and see for yourself. You can do your own search. And the angel's not saying, just believe me. He's saying, come and see. Check this out. Do a little research for yourself. Because once you and I do that, there's a natural inclination to take the angel's fourth statement more seriously. Matthew 28, verse 7, the angel says this. Now, go quickly. Tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Like the women in the text, we need to go. and We need to tell. Once we come to understand... This extraordinary thing that has happened. It's not okay to just sit on the news. We need to go and tell. Help you appreciate this. I want you to imagine you're sitting quietly in your favorite cafe, your your favorite coffee shop. Maybe it's this pilgrim coffee up here, you know, 127th and Metcalf, new little coffee shop that's kind of cool that Lori likes now. And maybe it's uh, you know I don't know, maybe maybe it's a Starbucks, maybe it's something else that you like. You're, You're in a cafe, coffee shop, one of your favorite little places like that with a couple of friends, when suddenly the door of the place bursts open and in rushes a stranger and the guy is an excited, wide-eyed, got this look on his face, wide-eyed, and and he shouts, good news, good news. You'll never guess the greatest news you can ever imagine. Let me just pause, okay? Okay. What could be such good news that it might actually justify barging into a crowded cafe and excitedly telling total strangers about it? What kind of quality of good news must this be? Could this guy be announcing that KU won and is going to be playing for the NCAA College Basketball National Championship? Could he be doing that? No. He could not because they lost (laughs) and let me just add, even if they had won, it would still not fit the caliber of good news that he could do this with. You know why? Because it wouldn't be good news to Villanova fans (laughs) and it wouldn't be good news to Missouri fans and some K-State fans and some of you. The only good news justification, think about this, the only good news justification for interrupting total strangers in a public place would have to be something like this. A cure for cancer's been finally found, and it's just been announced. Have you heard yet? Right? Some people would be justified in getting that amped up about that, right? Or better yet... A cure for death has been discovered. It's not final. I know it's robbed you of people that you love, people that you care about more than, you can, than any of us can comprehend, but it is not final. Someone's defeated it. If you put your faith in him, you can too. Amen. Have you heard yet? Friends, the message of Easter, the message of Resurrection Sunday is not tame. It's not like we like we even hear, as excited as we get on Easter, Sunday morning. We still don't fully grasp it. The message of Easter, the message of Resurrection Sunday is that death is not the end. It's been defeated by Jesus. Amen. And your failures and your sins aren't final. They can be forgiven by Jesus. And injustice like Jesus and like others have experienced throughout the course of this earth's history isn't final. A day is coming when goodness and justice are going to roll like the river. They're going to prevail and the world's wrongs are all going to be made right by Jesus. That's good news, friends. It's amazing news. The angel's message on resurrection morning was Go and tell his disciples the good news. Go tell people who aren't disciples his good news. Go and tell whatever you do, don't keep it to yourself. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying to you. What he's saying to me. And recognize this for the extraordinary life-changing, unprecedented, dramatic, transformational thing that it is. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. I want to close with this thought, and we're going to sing a song together, but uh, there was a if there was a properly engraved sign at the empty tomb where Jesus was laid, and you can kind of see where those bricks are. It's kind of in my mind. If, if there was a sign there, as uh, most grave sites have a tombstone, you know? The sign, the, the tombstone there would show Jesus' name, the, the date of his birth. It would show the dash. You know, you got the, the, date, of, the date of birth. You got the dash, And then, of course, 33 years later, later, after his extraordinary life, there would be Jesus' date of death posted there, correct, when he was crucified. But Jesus' tombstone would be different from everybody else's. Because on Jesus' tombstone, there would have to be another line below this line. It would mess up all of the tombstone engravers' formula. They would have to come up with an entirely new template for all of their engraving machinery because there would be a line below that on the second line, there would be another date, three days later than the date listed as his death. It would be his resurrection date and it would be followed by a dash and in fact, the dash would start here but it would just run right off of the tombstone and ultimately extend throughout eternity because our risen savior is alive forevermore. So rejoice. Some of you need to believe Stop it with the unbelief. Stop it with all the people who are so educated and think that they know everything when the truth of the matter is they got some vested interest in not believing that you don't have. Believe. We all need to ask our living Lord to cleanse us, to fill us. He wants to do that for us. He died and was resurrected so he could Do that for us. And if we'll invite him to do it, he promises he will. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and we're going to sing a song of victory and triumph together. Just invite you, even as I pray, to invite Jesus to fill you, to cleanse you, to make you his. All right, let's pray, and then we'll sing that song of victory. Heavenly Father. We thank you that you are so good and kind. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, just as Jesus has everlasting life. Death thought it defeated him. But the empty grave, the empty tomb proves that he is once and for all time and eternity the victor. And what he has won, no one can take away from him. We thank you that the day is coming when every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're doing it now, Lord. We're just looking heavenward and we're just acknowledging that you, Lord Jesus, are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You will rule and reign forever. You proved it by your death. You proved it by your resurrection. You've proved it by inviting us to come to you. And this morning, we just come. We ask for your cleansing, your filling, your spirit to, to work in us, to work in spite of us. Make us yours. And we thank you Though our bodies may die as yours did, just as your body was resurrected, the day is coming when every one of us who put our faith in you will be as well. We celebrate that this day. Now as we sing of your triumph, your victory, your greatness, would you hear our praise? Would you be at work in our hearts, cleansing and filling Strengthening and empowering us. We lift this prayer to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, the mighty, the beautiful, the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me. It said, amen, amen. Some of you probably think to yourself, when I think of Jesus, I think of him hanging on the cross. I think about and then we have this kind of sweet, emaciated mystic image of Jesus. And a song like this kind of does something funny inside of us. But this morning, I want you to listen. The Bible doesn't finish the story of Jesus in the Gospels. I want you to hear the picture, to see the picture with your mind, to see life where most people expect death, okay? See it. The Apostle John has this picture of Jesus. And the scripture says of him, And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, he describes his vision of him when he, when he encountered him. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest, and his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And we're all hoping we don't go out and see that. <laughs> but get this, And his eyes were like flames of fire. And his feet like polished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. And he held seven stars in his right hand. And a sharp two-edged sword came out of his mouth. And his face was like the sun in all of its brilliance. And, and John just says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if, I were, as if I were dead. Remember the dead, faint thing? Falls down as though I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and said... Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Friends, this is who we serve, this is who we worship. Was he dead? Yes, he's not dead anymore. He is the living one. Who holds the keys of death in the grave, and today we celebrate that? It's an amazing thing. It's an extraordinary truth that my hope is that today you'll just not be able to be silent about. It. And my hope is that if you never come to him, that this morning you'll just say, I surrender. As John bent his knees to Jesus, then yours. You'll never regret doing it. We're going to close in prayer. And if you need prayer for anything in your life, we'd be happy to pray for you down here. You can talk to any of us up on the platform. We'd be happy to pray with you, talk with you. But whatever you do, don't be silent. Don't be silent. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are triumphant, that you are a mighty warrior, that you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that there's no one like you in the heavens or on the earth. And that we have the privilege of serving you, not just now, but for all eternity. We're eternally grateful, God. Would you help us to not be silent about this? Would you help us everywhere we go to look for ways to just encourage people, just to say, have you heard, Do do you know this? To be so excited about the good news that we actually talk about the good news, help every one of us to do that. And help every one of us to be so excited about the truth of this good news that that we believe to the core of our being and that we won't allow ourselves to be timid. Fill every shadow of darkness in us with your light, your forgiveness, your love, your hope. And we'll celebrate you now and forever. Go with us now, Lord Jesus, as we leave. May your blessing rest on everybody here. If somebody needs to pray about something, Lord, would you prompt them to come down? Would you prompt them to come down here and let us pray for them? Give them courage and boldness and let them know we don't bite. And uh, go with us now. We celebrate your goodness and your power, Lord Jesus. Jesus' name, Father, we lift this prayer. Amen. Amen. Happy Resurrection Sunday, everybody.